If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. If you're a really clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. His name is Mr. Babadook, and this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Follow us on Instagram at SpeakAllEvilPod. This week, we're talking about Australian horror. We've talked about a couple movies from Australia recently. We talked about Lake Mungo not too long ago. Thanks, Chaplin, for the listener recommendation. And we talked about, actually, they were both listener recommendations. We talked about Allison's birthday um, not too long ago. Thank you, Tasha. I like oh, that, that was one. an Aussie flick? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but this week, we're dedicating the entire episode to The Land Down Under. Kevin has uh, chosen a couple Australian movies. I believe we're going to start this week with Wolf Creek from 2005. Yeah, so Wolf Creek 2005, directed by Greg McLean, who... Trent, you and I talked about the Belko experiment on our Patreon episode. Yep. He's done that. He followed this one up with the alligator movie Rogue, which is pretty good. Um, also kind of based on true events, which Wolf Creek is one of those infamous movies that, you know, based on true events. Um, he's done a couple other terrible ones, The Darkness being one of them. This takes place in 1999 in Australia. And what you have is Liz and Christy are two Brits who are backpacking and sort of hitchhiking um, Australia, which, as many people do in their 20s. And they hook up with Ben, who is from Australia. And they're trying to make their way across the country. And they want to stop at Wolf Creek State Park, which is the site of a giant crater uh, from a meteorite fall back in the day. And this place really does exist. Um, they run into Mick Taylor, who is a local, and their car is uh, broken down. So Mick offers very generously to tow them back to his camp, fix the car for free, and get them back on the road as soon as possible. In all great horror movies, you have the very, very dumb decisions that characters make. I never would have gone with this guy anywhere. And they obviously go back, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> so this is one that I remember being super pumped about, and I think this was like back in the Netflix DVD days that I finally got to see this, because it wasn't very widely released. But from a streaming perspective, this is free on Tubi right now, by the way, and watch it while you can, because this is a movie that seems to sort of come in and out of availability. Um, but... I love this one. This is a real, it's right in the middle of like the torture porn era. But I think that what Greg McLean did, because he wrote the screenplay in 97, so that sort of predated all of the torture porn stuff. I'm sure he kind of updated it to maybe give that a little bit of flavor. But he was bi creating what I think is like a real true classic villain in Mick Taylor, played by John Jarrett. And so you have about 45 minutes of the movie 
it's just you getting to kind of know our protagonists. Like, there's no real horror. It's party scenes. It's who has a crush on who. You know, we're watching now. They have a, a, a sort of tense run-in with some locals. But about halfway through this movie, and I was actually shocked that this running time was like over an hour and 40 minutes. Um, halfway through, it just goes straight horror. And then it is a bleak, violent, gore-filled just terrible, terrible watch. And by terrible, I mean awesome. Um, I think this one holds up. Uh, I would I would also plug the sequel that McLean did uh, a few years after this one where John Jarrett re- uh, reprises his role as McTaylor. Um, I think it's good. Little compact cast, uh, lots of violence. I do think that McLean does a good job getting us to actually like our protagonists so that when horrible shit starts happening to them, you, you actually feel it. Uh, and then I think that uh, Mick Taylor is a is a character where like not like Freddy Krueger like, but like he's equally menacing and like entertaining. Um, I kind of wish this was uh, Australian Vacation with Chevy Chase because uh, <laughs> Mick Taylor kind of has like a Randy Quaid vibe a little bit. <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, this is like the ultimate like outback redneck horror. It reminded me a little bit of Joyride that we saw recently with like the. Uh, Thruple out there um, getting, you know, fighting against this guy. Um, and so many things in Australia can kill you. It's like a just a really treacherous place. So, like, I kind of wish that, like, someone got bit by, like, a, a tarantula or maybe got beat up by a kangaroo at some point. <laughs> that would be a good thing to throw in, divert mm-hmm. your attention. But this movie, to me, I thought the, the best thing about it, besides being just, like, super brutal, is I found it to be completely unexpected it went like against a lot of the tropes and i don't know if that's because it was based on true things uh or not but it it almost seemed like it was an intentional like switch of focus from what you're used to expect from the characters that are always in these kind of movies um and because of that i feel like that's what makes it so mick taylor ends up being kind of the main character of these films. And I think as they go on the sequels and the series, it was even more that way. Um, But I love everything in this series. It's one of the ones that got a little cheesier or a little bit like had a little less integrity uh, as it evolved, but I'm still fine with it. I think it's a super raw uh, horror uh, series or uh, horror movie. Franchise. <laughs> Franchise. <laughs> Universe. And this movie is brutal as hell. There is no let up to Wolf Creek. I had only seen this once back when it first hit DVD. Um, and I, I kind of like, I didn't love it at the time. I think it was actually a little too brutal for me. I remember thinking at the end of it, it's so nihilistic. And I remember at the time thinking, I just sat here and it's just like, it's unrelenting brutality and nihilism the end and the joy he's taking yeah it's just it's so sadistic and there's absolutely there's absolutely no redemption at all for anyone and uh there's no like there's no redemption for the viewer even this is you complaining last i i know i'm i'm just saying this is a long time ago this this is way back the first time i saw it before times now i love all those things about (laughs) it um it is uh it's definitely torture porn and i and Kevin, you mentioned that this was written in 97, or it was before the 2000s, but I'd been thinking about the torture porn era, 
broadly, which was, you know, global um, horror movement. And it kind of it occurred to me that the torture porn era came right on the heels of the war on terror. This was right around the time that things like Guantanamo Bay were happening. The um, debate about enhanced interrogation techniques, quote unquote, is waterboarding torture. We were pushing the limits of what had previously been allowed under conventions and under our own laws. Um, the Abu Ghraib prison scandal was, broke in 2004. This is right after that. So that whole era of film was right around the time that all this discussion was happening about torture. I think that's interesting, you know, what the relationship is, who knows, but I think it's fun to sort of connect some of those things. Um, and you definitely see some enhanced interrogation techniques in this movie. Um, there's head on a stick, <laughs> most mm. notably. Oh, man. There are extended sequences of just screaming bloody murder. It's kind of tough, but, you know, honestly, this time, and maybe just because of how immersed we've been in much worse things than this, um, I, I thought it wasn't as tortury as I remembered. I really appreciated the time that this movie takes. You mentioned, Kevin, how long you get to sit with the characters. Normally, I think in a slasher movie, in a, in a run-of-the-mill slasher movie, it, that could be really annoying because so often the acting is bad. The characters are so annoying and so grating that even if you... It's fun to want them to die, but you're like, I can't like deal with these characters. I thought the acting in this was pretty good. They weren't annoying at all. Um, I liked the extended cold open. There's this whole long cold open of them like partying and stuff before they leave. Um, and then you get the title card. And then after the title card, you get the driving montage, which is another whole section. And they get to the, the crater and all this. You know, a more conventional slasher would have just started with the driving montage. You wouldn't have to have that whole cold open. So you really do. I think it's effective because when the uh, unrelenting brutality comes... You have actually spent some time with these people, and you're not totally annoyed by them. You don't necessarily want them to die. Um, so I thought that was really effective. And this is VOD, too. I couldn't watch this with commercials. I mean, Blood Harvest is one thing, but something like this, I need to see uncut. And speaking of uncut, this is actually the, the only version that's out there now that I could find on streaming. This is five more minutes than the, the uh, the theatrical version. Um, there were some some extra scenes in this, the um, the corpse pit scene wasn't in the theatrical um and a little bit of the um the opening stuff but i love this movie highly recommend wolf creek uh yeah this one was a classic lull torture story uh like the hills have eyes but instead of a misshapen family we had a very uh, very creepy version of crocodile dundee i definitely um appreciated the um gore filled moments that happened for the last half of the film not a huge fan of sexual assault scenes so i was pleasantly surprised that this one kind of had like the implication he was going to he didn't yes. get around to he's it. like can't for wait for a this couple of months yeah just like, yeah um so it was nice that we didn't get to see that um we were kind of spared of that and then instead we just watched you know torture porn um also i thought it was interesting that one of the characters we just don't see until the end basically like we don't uh we don't really know what, what happened to the guy and then all of a sudden we're like oh ben sorry ben. kevin's favorite name yes uh that <laughs> like oh that's what happened to ben awesome he's up on a cross that's cool um it was very it was like a violent like um cat and mouse 
kind of thing where it's like it kept the women kept escaping and you're like yeah they got it and then it's like oh no it's kind of just like the hitcher where you're like oh he finally got yeah he's finally out and then nope they got him again um it was just um i thought it was i don't know i thought it was fine guys i didn't like love it i can tell you know yeah this is just run of the mill just run of the mill torture porn slasher we've seen it all we've seen it before i've seen fingers get cut off (laughs) never seen the head on a stick part that one was uh you know that one made me go you know the Mm. the machete in the spine or whatever the fuck guys like not gory enough too gory i mean you guys are Listen, make up there's your a, minds. I didn't think it's it all was, about context, man. I didn't think it was too gory. I thought the gore was necessary for the story that was being told. I was just kind of like, it was just kind of boring to me. The most Im- the most interesting part to me was when um, they kind of found out the backstory to how he kind of finds his victims. Like when she found all the video, all the video cameras, and being like, oh, that's how he gets them. And that part made him even more evil to me because there was like an actual family in one of them like with a tiny child and i thought the whole you know based on a true story thing kind of made it more not interesting but you're like so much fucked up shit must happen in the australian outback like i would totally believe that this would be happening absolutely like without a doubt um so yeah i don't know i Thought the, uh, you know, obviously Mick, is that his name? Is that what we decided? Mick Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor. That's his name. Wonderful. (laughs) What we decided. (laughs) Did you you look into the backpack murders at all, Kat? You're kind of a true crimer. Is it Eddie Krueger? First of all, you know, my only complaint about Mick Taylor is that he was in the Rolling Stones, first of all. (laughs) No, Mick Taylor was in the Rolling Stones. If you're going to have a slasher, you're going to create a new um horror villain i think it should not be a guy who was in the rolling who, stones well you never he was very <laughs> should have been mick jagger have any of you looked at the true events it's based off a couple i sl- i slightly like murders yeah i slightly looked into it i didn't like delve too deep but i was like yeah you know it's, it makes it's sense. worth it because like yeah. you mentioned cat like they have like the the total classic texas chainsaw scene where uh she stumbles upon you know, so many like IDs and like all the things that mm-hmm. kind of let you know. Um, and Trent, it's interesting that you said that like the body pit wasn't in the original. Like this guy killed a lot of people, but it's based on one, the Peter Falconio murder um, by Bradley Murdoch. And this movie had to be uh, delayed because the trial was actually going on. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, so yeah. McLean, they in one, asked him basically, like, can you not put this out Like when we have a huge Only in one profile. part of the country, yeah, where the trial was. Right, because they thought yeah. it might actually affect the trial if this is like in theaters. Yeah, and that, but really it's about Ivan Milat. And I won't go too far into it, but it's worth, you know, for true crime nerds, if you haven't, uh, the Milat family is one worth looking into. I believe that he was convicted of four murders, but it's a very similar situation where I think they found a lot of shit mm-hmm. on this guy's property. And they think that not just he, but possibly his brother and or brothers were also doing this for a very long time. I'm terrified of Australia. I never want to go there. It's a penal colony, man. It's, uh, it's, it's brutal. Um, I, I mean, I would say this is like the greatest outback horror of all time. Um, I don't know what other like outback brutality. I haven't seen Rogue which I assume takes place in Australia. Why? 
Uh, I don't because think it's so. the same filmmaker. And it's about. Uh, a, I don't think so. I think that. Crocodile. I think that's Africa. That's not a crocodile. <laughs> I wanted to bring that scene up because I think that scene is so well done because they do such a cheesy line that's so classic. The Dundee Aust- scene. Yeah, Australian. Like, that's what tourists know that haven't been to Australia is Crocodile Dundee. And I love the way they deliver this line and then it even comes back later. Uh, I thought that it was amazing. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot that, and I didn't think they were going to actually do it. But it, it sort of happens at one point, and then uh, Mick Taylor like goes in and finishes the stare <laughs> at the when they're around the That's fire. That's knife scene, and he's he does the crocodile Dundee joke. Yeah. Like Mick Taylor's stare lasts forever, yeah. and it's so yeah, scary. It's a solid like twenty I, seconds. This is one of those stories I feel like would happen to me. One hundred percent. I could definitely make that yes. joke. Uh, and then we're all yeah. in a pit. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. You're all hanging around the fire, and they're hanging around with Mick Taylor, and he's being his most charismatic, jovial, outback, redneck guy, and he's going to fix their car, and they're having a good time and yucking it up, and he's doing all his liners, and then Ben makes the Dundee joke, and Taylor just freezes and stares at him for an uncomfortably long time. That's what happens when you're at these type of parties with Dave. <laughs> Eventually, the wrong joke flies, and then all of a sudden, long hard stare. Not yeah. so much fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're in a pit on you someone's guys property. Get going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rogue does take place in Australia, Trent. Um, I also one little snippet um, that I thought was interesting too is this guy doesn't like only hate like people that aren't from Australia. Australia. He hates people that are also like not from like the outback. Because he found out that Ben, he's like, oh, you're Australian? He's like, right. yeah, I'm from Sydney. And he's like, oh, never mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This city. <laughs> he makes some kind of homophobic remark about it. Or he yeah. says something. I, and he I says think he's it's... never been to the city himself. Yeah. Like, these are yeah, people yeah. that were born, raised, yeah. and never left. Like, yeah. It, it's kind of um, um, hillbilly horror in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, reminds me of a lot of the hillbilly horror type movies. Like this very much like a deliverance. Or mm-hmm. like a Hills Have Eyes, you mentioned Cat. Um, I think all of those influencers. And th- these both of the movies this week, I think, are steeped in the horror traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, the well, this before. one. I mean, you mentioned like the long cold open. Typically, you would have a movie like this. It would start with a kill. Like, yeah, might yeah, show yeah. the truck because you know later on you have she's reviewing the vi- the video camera that he stole from them, and she notices his truck. Usually, like, yeah. Usually, ben it would and, be like, a kill. And they last they last quite a while, no spoilers, um, but all the characters last for quite a while in the movie. They don't just get quick. Yeah, you know, there's it, no expendable. It, there's like one like expectation that it sets up. If you're if you're a horror fan and you're watching this movie like, okay, like so here's how it's gonna unfold, it's not. I was interested uh, reading about how the, the pit scene was cut. There's a scene where Liz falls into the corpse pit. Right, she's like searching through the garage, and and that's my only problem, Kevin. You mentioned the dumb decisions. I, I thought the decision to go with Mick was really the only decision they could make. I didn't think that was that dumb. They have to get this car fixed. They're out in the middle of nowhere. It's that, or it he could seems be nice. Could be days. You know? I mean, yeah. who knows? You got to get this thing fixed. I thought that was fine, but um, my main gripe is um, when Liz goes back after they've they've kind of uh, distracted Mick, and, and she goes back to the compound or whatever, and she's like takes all this time looking through the video cameras and and that's how you mentioned cat that's how you get which i think is really not necessary but that's how you kind of get a little backstory on mick is that 
She looks through all these video cameras that are from his previous victims. Another classic thing, she finds all the cars and all the um, the newspaper clippings and all the driver's licenses of all the victims that came before. Classic um, serial killer, like, token um, technique. Also, he has to hide all these cars and stuff. But So she's looking through all these video cameras and seeing all the things that happened to the people before her. And then she falls into this corpse pit. It's a really awesome scene. It's really gross. And my understanding is that it was cut because... Uh, after test screenings, it was felt that that was too much, too much gore, too much nasty, which just seems ridiculous to mm. me. I mean, the movie is nasty to the bone. What's a corpse pit? You know, I thought that just a throw, throw a couple well, in, in the there. Sequel, Who you cares? Get, like, the zombie tunnel <laughs> yeah. enhanced it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I had seen this as an adolescent when it came out. I think it would have affected me much differently. I think I would have been like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's crazy. Oh my God, like the knife stab and body pit. But now it's just like, you know, it was a you know, good, good gore movie. So I'd say seven out of 10. Financially successful. This was a huge hit. Yeah. Made I, money. I never knew that. This was like a one or two million dollar budget. One, one and a half. One and a half million dollars. That's awesome. And this is a feature debut. Um, yeah, McLean is, had done yeah, a short, McLean's... but this is his first um, feature yeah. film on a micro budget. Made $28 million. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And took a while for the sequel to come out. Like, they wanted a Good sequel to years, go right into production, but he wanted to do Rogue. Yeah. Um, which isn't bad. It's not as good as this. Um, he got, you know, Rada Mitchell, I think, like, a, a little bit more of a star-studded cast and, and probably a bigger budget. Um, but I like his directing. You know, like, the Belko experiment, I think, is a really fun movie. I like that. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I, I a, didn't realize that. I don't even, I forgot if I knew that that was McLean. I think, uh, I think away when we talk, I think we were focusing on, like, who wrote it. It was written by, um, <clears throat> uh, whatever. It was also it was, so much like Mayhem. Well, I think we did those together, right. like on a Patreon. Um, yeah, you and I went to see Belko experiment in the theater. Yes, first time. Uh, fun movie, um, totally different. Where this one takes place in the Australian outback with really only four characters. Belko is contained in a building with hundreds of characters. A white collar um, office worker types. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think McLean's good. The the sequel's good. Um, like Dave said, you know, it does get a little bit like a little loses a little bit of like grit and integrity and kind of elevates the action. So Mick Taylor can now drive like tractor trailers and he's like always he's quipping to himself now instead of, you know, like, you know, to somebody he's about to do something terrible to. Um, but, you know, Dude. the character, I think, was strong enough. It spawned, you know, two sequels. I think a third one's in development it now. In production. And as there's far as like I know. two or three years of a TV series that I, I think that's on Shudder, too. I love the TV series. I haven't seen the TV series, but I do have a, what I think could be a, a helpful hint for people who might find themselves in the situation that these kids do. I think the, the big mistake that these kids make is that when the girls escape and uh, Taylor chases them. Uh, and they kind of, they like end up pushing their truck off a cliff and he, that distracts him because he has to go look for them and they circle back to the compound. That is where, if, if this happens to you, right, you're out in the middle, they were already in the middle of nowhere in the outback. Uh, then this guy takes them, he tows their car and he, he drives a long time and they talk about where are we, how long is this drive? So he's taking them even further out into the middle of, the, of, of nowhere. They have no idea where they are. This is the desert. It's dangerous. You can't just like go walking and think you're going to, you know, you could die of the elements before you would ever find anyone. What you have to do in that situation, you have to double back to the compound. You have to lie in wait 
and you have to kill this guy. That is your only way out. 100%. You got to figure out a way to take this guy out when he comes back. You've got time to figure something out. You've got to incapacitate him. And they almost do in the beginning when they, they shoot mm-hmm. him in the neck. That's the other thing. If you do get him down on the ground, Double tap. Bash what are you head doing? Irreversible time. Uh, um, fire extinguisher. If if you until you see, you have to see brains out of the skull. Right. That's the only time that's you're the only safe. Way. You're head not. Gone, maybe. That's what you have to do. So keep that in mind if you're ever in this situation. I like the suspense uh, that does happen in other slashers. That happens in this is like the, the especially redneck horror. There's the keys. There's the key ring with all the keys on it uh, that you have to figure out what goes to what. <laughs> there's all these cars. Yeah, yeah. that's so real. Uh, I I feel like. People might think that Maine is like we think Australia is because of Stevie. Yeah. <laughs> fucked up shit happens here in the middle of the woods. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if we went up to the county and they're like, where are y'all from? Portland. Oh. Yeah. That happened to me once at the. Um, once? One time. Well, it happened to me. Uh, one time that it has happened to me was down. It was, it was in town, though. It was down at the um, billiards place on St. John Street. And I was like in there, and they're like, where are you guys from? I'm like, oh, Portland. They're like, hmm. Mm, like, yeah, not there, Portland. I'm like, you fucking own a bar here. You don't what belong do you... down there, cat. Leave them alone. It's not Let a place me... for teeny boppers to go and be ironic and do TikToks, not... okay? I... They're serious guys. They're in there. You don't want to mess around with them. Listen, sometimes. You'll end up on a stick. <laughs> I... All right, the second pick this week for Australian horror was 2014's The Babadook, another directorial debut. Jennifer Kent wrote and directed this based on her short film titled Monster from 2005. Uh, She also did a movie called The Nightingale in 2018, but this is the horror story of what happens when a sexually frustrated mother is not allowed to complete masturbating for six <laughs> years because her fucking kid is so annoying. Man. No, in all honesty, this is a very heavy movie. No, that's, that's it. It, it. it is. It actually is. But it's also a very, very heavy movie. Uh, it's about grief. It's about dealing with grief. It's about a single mother. She loses her husband. This is not a spoiler. This is the first 10 seconds of the movie. She is on her way to the hospital. She's pregnant. She is in labor. Her husband crashes the car. He is killed. And we fast forward six years into the future where she has been raising her son, Sam, by herself and is very tired and has also clearly not processed any of the grief that she should have been dealing with regarding the loss of her husband. So this one stars Essie Davis in an unbelievable performance as Amelia. And apparently she was Lady Crane in Game of Thrones. Um, Noah Wiseman, who was actually six years old, plays her son, Sam. And what happens is, as she's just about reaching her breaking point, she suddenly asks Sam, who she reads to each night, as many parents do to their children, what do you want to read? And he finds this book that had never been on his bookshelf before called The Babadook. So they pull pull it off, they read it. It's this terrifying, totally not appropriate for children book um, it's a pop-up book, too, which is pretty cool. And it scares the crap out of Sam. He becomes convinced that the Babadook is real and it's coming to get them. 
and then Amelia starts to really lose it and think that she has also seen the Babadook. And again, this is all wrapped around, you know, not dealing with grief and coming to terms with loss uh, and also, you know, being a single parent. Um, I had not rewatched this movie, Trent, I think in like since you and I rented this movie when it first came out on VOD. I don't think we could catch it in the theaters. No, I, and, I, and I hadn't seen it since then either. But uh, wow. Um, watched it a few times. Really, really holds up. Um, very subtle horror. This is much more like emotionally heavy than it is scary. There are a few scary moments. Uh, everything done in camera, which I really appreciated, you know, even though like there are a few like hokey scenes uh, that were done like stop motion. Oh, come on. Or, stop motion is awesome. It is, but no, but I respect it. Um, couple good scares. Moreover, this movie just left me feeling like, ah. And even though it seemingly has a, a good ending, I didn't think that that was the I case. I don't trust it. Yeah, I, exactly. Mm-mm. Thank you. Said perfectly. I, I didn't trust it. However, I do trust Jennifer Kent, and I do appreciate this movie. I loved it. I think it holds up. I think it's actually a very, very important movie for the subject matter it covers. Um, what did you think, Kat? I had never seen this movie before because wow. I always thought that it was going to like just scare the shit out of me uh, just from the, the imagery that I had seen and that I was just going to hate that. Little did I know that not only was it going to be pretty spooky, but that it was also going to make me feel many a feeling, quite many a feeling, in fact. Um, I would say that it was less scary than I thought it would be. Um, I was expecting, you know, more of the spooky imagery or the jump scares. I attempted to watch this movie initially while I was alone and uh, very baked in my apartment. Um, And then I had to do a very hard pause at a certain scene and wait for Nick to get home <laughs> so I could finish it. Lucky guy. Was oh. it the masturbating scene? It was. I was like, so scary, no. Honestly, in that moment, I wish when the door opened that the mon- it had been the monster that came in because the whole time I was like, oh God, oh no, don't let him come in, no. Uh, but yeah, it was just the the scene, it was like the, just the way that the Babadook looks is just so fucking spooky with those fucking hands and the noises and like the quick movement what got me is when he opened the door and then slowly like creeped out and i was like nope immediately no on top of that though you're dealing with this emotional turmoil of this poor mother and the sam i just felt so bad I cried during this movie. Did anyone else cry? Wow. No, just Kat? No. I don't remember if Trent and I wept on each other's no. shoulders no. the first time we saw it. But maybe the um, second time. I got a little choked up this time. Honestly, it was, like... It's when she started to say really, really mean things to the kid. Dude, even just like thinking about it now, like having it on in the background, thinking about when like he just like wanted to hug his mom like right at the start... And she was just like, get off me, basically. The kid is just so intense. Like, the actor is so great. And you just really want to empathize with him because he's just simultaneously so sweet. Like, a little sweet boy, but obviously has some problems going on and very, very starved for his mother's love, basically. And it's not his fault, but obviously she's 
placing the blame on him not being the one to die. Anyway, it was an emotionally intense movie that also had a very frightening mascot to me. I could go on and on about this one, but for now I'll just say I don't really want to watch this movie for a little while, I don't think. So. This is a Stone Cold classic. I was very curious to see how this would hold up having not seen it since. And I, I was a little bit, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I was I was afraid that it wouldn't hold up. That this would be one of those that was um, a big splash at the time. And this was part of the elevated horror era. Both of these movies, not only both Australian, both um, debut feature films, both written and directed by the filmmaker, um, but this one also could be attached to a movement. And this was like ahead of the movement because after this, you had The Witch, um, you had Hereditary. So, man, this is so good. And this is 90 minutes. It gets right down to business. Shocked that this was it's, only 90 minutes. Yeah, it's lean and mean. Uh, total opposite of Hereditary in that sense. It's very economical. I thought also st- Steeped in horror tradition, so many movies. This reminded me of, obviously, The Exorcist, Poltergeist, even like um, The Omen. All that stuff is in this movie. And this kind of got, you know, when this first came out, it got kind of a boost because um, William Friedkin, who made The Exorcist, when this came out, he tweeted, this is like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And that was like part of the the push. So you got the seal of approval from one of the obvious influences right away. Other movies too that are very shining. The mom does a total Jack Torrance when she's even almost going as far as the little pig, little pig. She doesn't quite say that, but it's like the same thing. Um, You know, didn't think it was like that scary really now because, you know, I know what happens. Um, One cool thing, though, that never occurred to me that um, I ran across when I was reading about this movie, the book that you mentioned, Kevin, that appears in the house, Amelia wrote the book. Yeah, 100%. Never thought of that. I never thought of it until she's – so we're watching it right now, and they're at a birthday party and for her sister's daughter. So Amelia brings Sam to the birthday party – and Claire, her sister, has a bunch of like snooty friends. Yeah, the Stepford wife. And they wife. ask her what <laughs> she does, and she says, "I used to be." Uh, she names off a bunch of stuff, but one of the last one is like, "And I used to do a little bit of writing, some children's stuff." Yeah, and yeah. It was just so like, I never noticed that the first time. Yeah, because you're neither. like you're trying to figure out like where did the book come from? Who's the monster? What's the mythology? No, she wrote the book. Yeah, and the that first never time they read through it, she flips to the back and there's empty pages. Right, and then the, which is terrifying. Right, like, and then the last time, know, but then later on when she looks at it, those pages are filled in with the rest of her story. Very, very good. Yes, um, love this one. It's on Shutter or VOD. Definitely want to check out the Babadook, even if you saw it back back then. Uh, worthwhile to uh, revisit. I was texting you guys earlier this week that um, I liked that the kid was like Data from. Goonies, and that he was always making uh, like these weapons and gadgets, and I and I like when he used his magic, but I wish he could did that a little bit more. I actually was kind of cheering for like a super kick ass uh, like battle where he just pulls out all these gadgets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does yeah. go a little bit home alone though. That's what he does. He does yeah. go a little bit home True. alone. True, another like, influence. Yes. Yeah. And I also had Stepford Wives because I mean, like, I think that when you have like someone's mental health de- diminishing and, and they're estranged from society, the, no better way to show that than a bunch of bitchy, rich white ladies. When I originally saw this movie way back, I had a huge problem with the special effects. 
I didn't like the stop motion. I didn't like that I saw the Babadook as much by the end. This time I watched it and I liked it way better. I liked the stop motion stuff. Um, and I like that there's like no kind of no like origin story, but it, it's like folklore. It's like that nursery, rhymey, like creepy uh, drama. And I thought all the acting was amazing. Um, I like the Baba Duck, Duck, Duck. Oh, is that it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like the Baba Duck, Duck, Duck. Yeah, the, the nursery rhyme is kind of a folk horror almost. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I said, like a folklore. But it did have an origin to it. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It was just because yeah, uh, she just wrote it last night. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that was one of the things I thought was interesting in comparison to Wolf Creek is that Jennifer Kent said that she didn't want this to be an Australian movie per se. She wanted to she wanted to make this movie so that it would appear that it could be anywhere. It could be a universal thing that could happen anywhere. Um, whereas Wolf Creek is like aggressively Australian, you know, that couldn't happen anywhere mm -hmm. else. So they're kind of opposite ends of that, that spectrum. So it's interesting. I, I texted you guys, we, we had texted a little bit about some other like Aussie horror movies. And one of them that I had texted you guys was the Snowtown murders uh, or just Snowtown, which brutal. is a, a brutal, brutal movie. She's married to the director of that movie. No way. Oh, yeah. oh so I didn't she's, know that. So that's directed by Justin Kurzel, huh. um, who's done a bunch of things like including Assassin's Creed. Uh, and his brother, nice. Jed Kurzel, did the score to this. Uh, he also did the score to Snowtown, Alien Covenant, The Nightingale, uh, her other movie, uh, and Overlord that we've talked about. Um, so I thought it was just, it was kind of funny. But yeah, I, I did pick this because it's not just blatantly Australian. And I love the fact, like, you talk about how this came out at a time when we were starting to get elevated horror, we were starting to break down some walls, but we were also starting to see some women get into this field. You know, like, we talk about, oh, my God, it's mind-blowing that Catherine Bigelow did Near Dark. Uh, but it's because, like, that was, no women were directing horror. Like, and then along comes Jennifer Kent, and we've had so many more that have come along since. So it's just... Uh, it's cool to see that and to see, you know, Essie Davis, Amelia, uh, her ties to some other of that stuff. Also, she got her start as a production assistant on Lars von Trier's movie Dogville. Yeah, I was amazed to see that she start. She started as an actress. She went to an art school as an actress and she acted for like 20 years and then decided she wanted to get into the, the filmmaking side and... Um, just like got in touch with Lars von Trier and was like, I want to understudy on one of your films. If you've ever seen Dogville, it's not a horror movie with Nicole Kidman, but it is as evil as any movie. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I would bring it in here any week. Um, yeah, Dave, Dave brought in far more questionable films. Fascinating that she understudied for that movie. Really interesting. And I read that she was saying that she was struck by how Trier, uh, von Trier keeps like a kind of family of crew around him. They're all people that he works with all the time that he has personal relationships with and she wanted to do the same thing. I think it's very topical um, for this month, for Pride Month, that we're watching the Babadook. Yes. Um, because of the fact that Babadook is somehow now a gay icon. <laughs> yes. On the internet. I'm not a entirely sure how exactly I, it happened it, it happened the only way anything <laughs> happens anymore it happened as an ironic meme because when the babadook hit netflix 
Netflix for some reason put it in their LGBT <laughs> section. Yes, but I, I would. And I don't that became like the one. big joke. Like, oh yeah, of course, this is a queer movie. Obviously, obviously. And then he became an icon. That's like the easy one. Like when you Google it, but there's a Vox. Article. I did. I did. You go to Vox.com and look at a 2017 article from Alex Abad Santos. It started earlier than that. But they have an article that is like wildly intricate. Oh yeah, on exactly what this the, what this movie means. It's, it's too much. The Vox is too deep. It, the Vox is too much. It was a joke. It was on Netflix under the it did. Yeah, queer banner. Up, we don't know in te- if it was intentional or erroneously, uh, accidentally. I guess. I did want to say my favorite tweet though from the initial um, tweeting about how Baba Duke is gay. It was. Um, it's canon, basically. I mean, he created a pop-up book of himself for the drama of it all. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of like Hereditary in that it's just like family dread, and they're just the whole time. It's like super drama to the point where you're like beaten down before there's a monster and before all that stuff uh, ensues. Yeah, and then towards the end, when she's kind of losing it, it goes through all the stages of grief. You can kind of see it going like, I can't remember what they all are, but it ends with um, deny, anger, bargaining, and, denial, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, it's um, what's the acceptance? Word? Thank is you. The final acceptance. <laughs> um, and so there's that moment when you know she, you think she's expunged um, the Babadook, and Sam is just like, he's never going away. And then she just like carries him up the stairs, and then apparently all is well. And no questions are to be had, and uh, the house is immaculate, and the child protective services are like, sounds good. <laughs> that it's was, that was a nice little comedy element, the social workers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was still dark, like it mm-hmm. didn't like pull away from like how heavy this movie is, but it was pretty well done, like well acted and well written. That you had. I think only two times that we see these social workers, but they come in and it's pretty comedic because like the kid just straight up is like, mommy drugs me. Yeah. So I sleep <laughs> yeah. at night. And they're like, like Boo? And they're just like, oh. It wrapped itself up into a very pretty bow that like me and Kevin said earlier, just, I don't well, trust it. Let's talk about, Highly yeah, let, let's talk about the end. I don't want to spoil it, but um, you didn't trust the end, you said, but I think the the point of the end, you know, broadly is that you don't just like get over something like this. You don't just like one day reach acceptance and then say, oh, that's not a thing anymore. But, you know, you manage, you have to keep it under control and keep it from taking control of your life and affecting it the way you raise your son, for example, Mm -hmm. and, you know, traumatizing your own kid over things that happen. So I thought that that was kind of cool the way they did that. Yeah. I thought it was cool, but like the reason I don't trust it is because what happens when like you don't have time to, to feed it. Yeah. To address it. Like, it was, it, it seems. <laughs> she can't fit. go on vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. What happens when they run out of work? Very likely. That I think, this I think it's again. a little more allegorical than that. Well, yeah. um, I would, no, I have. I'm a, going literal. I have <laughs> a, I would end this movie a little bit different, though. I, I would rewrite the, the very final scene when, um, Sam does a little magic trick for his mom. It's real magic. Yeah, well, it's real magic. Yeah, he he pulls a dove like out of a dinner plate uh, out in the yard, and she's like, "Oh, you little rascal!" And she picks him up and hugs him, and they're laughing, and all is good. I would have had that scene happen, and then the the, the final cut is kind of like her face, just kind of looking, and I would have had her then stop and then say, "Sam, how did you do that?" 
Boom. Oh. And then I oh. The yeah. As soon. I was waiting for the joke, but that's actually Jennifer really me. artsy. Thank you. Wow. That was great. That was good. I thought that uh, cinematography-wise, there was some cool like indie film moves um, that were like influenced by like Spike Lee and Martin Scorsese. I don't know if you guys saw, but there's those classic shots where like the person's being pulled on some sort of roller thing and it looks like they're floating towards a camera. And also her, uh, when she'd come out of her dream, she would always like fall onto the bed. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. a dream or a hallucination. Well, Von Trier also, I thought, with those yeah. scenes. Yeah. Yeah, she picked up some stuff from him for sure. To go to your ending, Trent, it always... You know, this is me. I'm the franchise guy. It always, <laughs> I was always like, well, you know, you could do a sequel to this, right? Kent has shut that down. She she kept the rights to this movie, yeah. which is why it's virtually always available streaming. Uh, I think Shutter was one of the first ones that picked up the rights. Uh, but yeah, she retained the rights to this and has just said, yeah, I'm good. Categorically, like, there will never be a sequel to the Baba Duck. We, we should never we should say make never. Baba Ducks and put it on Tubi. <laughs> <laughs> put it on Tubi. It would just be like Baba Ducks. You'd have to have more than one. That would yeah, be like that would, take it, up. it would just be like mom and dad, where like all the parents want to kill their kids. Oh yeah, yeah. This reminded me of that too. Well, that's after this, of course, but maybe that was more influenced by this. Uh, and the way, speaking of like the way the movie was made and like cinematography. Um, first and foremost, Essie Davis, who played Amelia and Kent, they were students together. Right. In, I think, acting Yeah, school, they knew each other from, from acting, acting school. school. Yeah. Um, but Sam, they're, they're, he's six years old in the movie and in real life. If there are some brutal scenes of what they do to this kid, what she says to him, mm -hmm. he was never on set for any of those. So they oh, would double good. shoot scenes and basically they'd have some adult on their knees so that Essie Davis could scream this horrible stuff and do these horrible things. And then they'd go, go be like, okay, Sam, you can come back now. Oh, that makes uh, me feel better. Keep, yeah, because look, this kid is so, it's, uh, he's one of the most annoying children in a movie of all time. It's pretty annoying. Yes. For about half of it. And then you're like rooting hard for him mm -hmm. when you realize, or kind of realize what's happening. I mean, the second time through, I realized pretty quickly. But, you know, he does these un believably cute things like you mentioned his magic like when he's like there's nothing in my hands there's nothing in my hands I'm like I would sit and watch that kid do bad so magic cute. tricks all day long it's like but he has these insane fits that I'm like I am very fortunate I have a child who never did she has never done that I do not know how I would handle that not well I, I hope <laughs> better than I hope I wouldn't turn into the Babadook but I mean I don't think I'd be able to handle like a little boy I see little boys out in the wild Fair. and I'm just like, no way. <laughs> this dude's crazy. I, you mean in public? Yeah, I went to the movies yesterday and lying in the movie kind of just like, don't say it. Don't say <laughs> it. It's like some, some little kid like bumping into my leg. Oh. I always like lean over and say something like, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they cry to their mom. Um, I, I, I think maybe the reason I was so affected by Sam's character is because I have a little nephew and he's a little bit of a spaz, I would say. I love him to death. He's very adorable. I um, heard this spaz is not a good ooh, term. Oh, it was taken oh, out of the Lizzo. It was taken let's, out of the Lizzo. Yeah, let's not song. let's not use that kind of language, please. Um, Wait, what is this? Spaz is canceled. It's apparently in spaz, England. It bro. means like something bad. I don't. It's okay. like the R word. He's a little bit of a freak. 
Uh, <laughs> he's weird. <laughs> no, no. He's okay. a weirdie. He's a weird But I love kid. him. He literally is the light of my life. I love him so much, but he gets a little hectic, I would say. He's got a lot going on in that big old noggin of his, and he's kind of always running around looking for bugs. Um, so I think that's why I had so much love for Sam in this film, because I just saw my little dude running around, and I don't want anything to happen to him. I would die for him. I would kill you all for him. I'm sorry. I would. The sound design is big in this. This is one of those movies that uh, benefits to have the sound up, I think. And the soundtrack is available. Um, you can get the soundtrack on this, which oh, it's is pretty vinyl. amazing. Oh, is Shut it? Shut the fuck up. No, wow. it's not. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. This wasn't as successful as Wolf Creek, which I was surprised. I, I don't I think was this shocked had when, that I, kind when of, I found um, out that Wolf Creek made $28 million. Yeah, I don't think this had a wide release. I think this was probably more in smaller. I, I don't think this made the same. It was a festival, darling. Yeah, yeah. Made for $2 million, which is still impressive. Very. Made $10 million. I'm sure this probably That's went still like great. bonkers on like VOD. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that this did just fine. I mean, it's a huge one. And obviously, you know, she has the rights and has it out to all the streaming. Uh, services so you can see it but I, I expected this honestly to have like a bigger but like you said Trent this predates like when art house horror started making 80 million dollars yeah and still like, I mean a 10 million dollar box office on a million and a half or two a two million dollar budget that's still yeah, with a free success. market with free marketing on the festival circuit yeah like, that's still big for things that Jennifer Kent has coming up um, Guillermo del Toro has a Netflix anthology type show coming out um, called Cabinet of Curiosities and she'll be directing uh, an episode of that. That's the only thing I could really find that she was working on but definitely want to uh, keep an eye on what she's got in store. 